Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of being here this morning. May we never become familiar with it, Father. This is a grace gift from you, from eternity past. We know that if we're here this morning, you meant for us to be here this morning. You desired that we hear this message, each one of us as individuals. Let us not forget that basic fact. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be here, that maybe should be here even, Father, that might not get this message, but we pray that they get it in due time, that you encourage them somehow to listen to it, to watch it, to contemplate it the same way we are about to. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world that before it's too late, they're humbled and receive saving faith, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning of rejoicing like this one a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 19. Uh, I want to give you an alternative translation to the passage that we've opened up with the past two messages up here on the board. In the Amplified Classic, Philippians 2.12, Part A, reads, Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, this is Paul writing, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent. Part B up here on the board. Much more than because I'm absent, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust, with serious caution, you understand, self-distrust, you see it? Self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Now that is a, has a lot to do with this morning's message. Whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. We are Christians, right? It's in our name. It's how we identify ourselves to the world. We are Christians. Whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. And then verse 13 up here on the board in the Amplified Classic. Not in your own strength. That's another key element of this morning's message not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Again, energizing and creating in you 
the power and desire <clears throat> both to will. It's one of the ways we know that we're saved, right? We actually have a desire placed in us. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. And so this week has been a long week. A um, lot of testing. A lot of testing um, going on in this world. Uh, in the church, outside the church, uh, attacks on the church, attacks on individuals in the church, people from without just muddying the heck out of the water, making a clear path uh, ambiguous all of a sudden, making what should be nice and clear for us in Holy Scripture, just attacking the unity of that thought. That's what I see. I know I'm being almost waxing poetic a little bit, but hopefully you see what's, what I see. It's basically there's, there's one way. We read our Bibles. Things are pretty clearly stated in the Bible. And every walk of life is attacking that truth. That's what I see. In the church, outside of the church, believers even, unbelievers, believers that are flopping all over the place because what? Because they're getting sick and tired of what? Having to what? Put a mask on? Tammy and I were talking about this yesterday. Think of uh, Israel. Forty years! We've gone five months with some what? Discomfort? No, for real. Forty years in the wilderness. You've got to wear a mask in an air-conditioned building. You get what I'm getting at? Oh, there are still some places that are locked down. So? What does the Bible say about authority? I don't know. Read the, read the blog I just wrote. What exactly is authority orientation? What does the Bible have to say about that? One word, obey. It's that simple. That's the, that's the narrow road. doesn't matter if you can understand it or agree with it, or you've got your own numbers, or your own statistics that you're quoting every chance you get. Shut up. So anyways, we're going to get into this. The Spirit's had me doing a lot of thinking about human power lately. Human power. And just so you know, I'm not talking down to you. Personally, it's one of my greatest weaknesses. Right? I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're able to do certain things that this world, who cares, right? This world esteems. Well, you have a certain power. People, like, start holding you up. Oh, wow, you're really good at that. You know? You must be good at everything. <laughs> what? Okay. Right? Right? Isn't that the temptation? Yeah. Yeah. Human power. Anyway, just so you know, I'm not speaking down to you. I'm just doing my job. Um, and for the record, for some of you, I know that you all have your own areas of strength. And that's dangerous, too. What I'm saying is that it's really easy to cross the line into exercising human strength and then calling it God's. 
Think about what we just read in Holy Scripture. It's really easy to cross that line and start using human strength and then call it God's. We humans are master inventors and therefore problem solvers. Just look at technology. We're really good at inventing stuff to solve problems. We even pride ourselves in it. We invent things that <clears throat> maybe we shouldn't even invent. That's fair. We invent things whether or not we even should. Think about nuclear weapons, for example. The only reason we even created them was to carry the biggest stick in the world. And to this day, we are the only country to ever use them up here on the board. This is from Wikipedia, just a statistic, just something, you know, real for us to think about. Atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the two bombings killed between 129,000 and 226,000 people, most of which or whom were civilians. That's a lot of people. Didn't, didn't we get up all up in arms over, and I'm not belittling this, but 2,800, I think, in the towers, the Twin Towers? Weren't we just beside ourselves when a few maniacs flew planes into a Twin Towers, a couple of few maniacs? How about a whole country decides to decimate a bunch of civilians? Again, the two bombings killed between 129,000 and 226,000 people, most of whom were civilians and remain the only uses of nuclear weapons in armed conflict. So here's my question. Would Jesus have used them? Go to Luke 6.20. Luke 6.20. I'm here to show you the way so that you can make up your own mind, you have your own convictions. If after this message you say, yeah, Jesus still would have used it, well, that's between you and the Lord. Luke 6, verse 20. And I'm not being political, I'm proving a point. We're getting to something. That's why the message is a little longer this morning, because there's a big build-up to the crescendo, okay? And for whatever reason, the Spirit wanted to use something so prolific to get your attention this morning. But nonetheless, we dropped these bombs and killed, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand people, most of them civilians. The question is, would Jesus have used them? That's a good question to ask. Luke 6.20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. 
Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's the golden rule, right? Do as unto others as you would have them do to you, right? And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Now, do we live in a perfect world where, you know, discernment over things like dropping atomic bombs is black and white? No. No, we don't. We don't. I wasn't the president of the United States at the time, but do I question what Jesus would have done? based on what I understand in Holy Scripture? Yeah, I kind of do. I'm not sure Jesus, had he been president at the time, would have dropped those two bombs, given what we just read in Luke 6. You might be asking, where is this coming from <laughs> on a Sunday morning? It's to wake you up. So bear with me, it has everything to do with this line of thinking regarding human power. The Spirit's had me on as of late. It has everything to do with human power. Up here on the board, human power, it is the fingerprint of sinful man. Human power is the fingerprint of sinful man. How did that get done? That's the question. If it was in human power, unlike what we read at the start of class, then it's the fingerprint of sinful man. It was done in the absence of God's power. Human power is the fingerprint of sinful man. Believers are called to depend on God's grace. Allah, I had some scripture there, but I never put it in apparently. My grace is sufficient. How about that? 
However, sinful men, unbelievers, and sinning believers depends on his own strength to solve problems. Sinful man, and I'm talking about unbelievers by default, and sinning believers, because we can all do this thing, we can all exercise human power and human strength, even as believers, and reject God's way of doing things. Sinful man depends on his own strength to solve problems. Keep that in mind. Now, let's walk this out a little bit more. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh? That's a pretty big deal, <laughs> right? I mean, that's big. To have faith in that, well, it's a big deal. Do you believe Jesus Christ controls history? Well, that's a really big deal, too. Do you believe that salvation is a miracle from God himself? To be reborn, think about that. That's a really, really big deal. So just those three things, you know? Did he create the heavens and the earth? Does Jesus control history? Is salvation a miracle? You get the point. Now keep that thought in mind. Think of that. When we think like this, we are in awe of the holy God of the universe. Is that fair? I mean, it's unbelievable. We're in awe of him. Haven't you ever just at night, on a clear night, looked up at the stars and say, oh my, where does that even end? Like brain, right? Bender. Like you can't even, you're just like, this is unbelievable. How big this place is. Awe. I mean, that's the way it should be. After all of his failed human power experiments, Solomon concluded uh, in his acquired wisdom, go to Ecclesiastes 12, verse uh, 13. 12, verse 13. Here's what Solomon concluded in his acquired wisdom. After all his human power experience, remember? He said, I made money, I had women, I had power, I had knowledge, I had it all. I tried everything. I've tried every route. I've done it all. Here's what he concluded at the end of that book, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, listen, this is, how he, this is his way of saying, there's nothing else to talk about here. Can we just get real? Can we just say, I'm, you know, after reading what you just read, I've pretty much covered all bases for us? Yeah. The end of the matter, all has been heard, okay? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Any questions? Instead of wasting all your time with human power experiments and engineering solutions that you think are good, like nuclear bombs? Really? Really? 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God, uh, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Okay, so back to our point. We can believe all of these supernatural things about God's power. I just listed three of them, let's say. We can believe all that. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 he created heaven. Yeah, Jesus controls history, salvation, you know, born again, supernatural stuff all the way, baby. So we can believe all of that, yet we regularly insert ourselves as problem solvers in much lesser so-called problems. So we trust, supposedly, that God can do all that amazing stuff but somehow he needs our help with the smaller stuff. This is our justification. This is our line of thinking. For example, I'll challenge you right, I'll challenge your own faith right now. How about that? I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment with you and play along. Suppose someone comes up to you after service today and says, quote, a man dies in the jungle in Africa and has never seen a Bible nor heard the name of Jesus in his life. How can you say that no one can be saved unless they believe in Jesus Christ as Savior? What about this man? Anybody want to come up and explain to this audience your thoughts? What would you say? What's the matter, everybody? How do you answer? Do you modify holy doctrine? Or make exceptions to the doctrine of salvation? Or do you allow the gospel to stand as is? Do you invent something antithetical to clearly stated doctrine like, you know, oh, God will save that person because they never got the gospel. Or do you stick by your guns and say, hmm, God, who's done much greater things, we just listed three of them, and everybody's like, oh yeah, totally, oh yeah, he could totally do that. Do you stick by your guns and say, God, who's done much greater things, can certainly figure out a way to evangelize this man? What do you say? I know what human invention says, and I know what the Bible says. You figure it out. In other words, do you use your human imagination to, you know, bridge the gap between what you know to be true from Holy Scripture... Whether you like it or not is not the issue. Whether you can wrap your little peon mind around it isn't the issue. It's what does this say? End of story. Done. That's it. doesn't matter if you can understand it or if it makes sense to your little mind. You either have a little thing called, up here on the board, guys, you either have this or you don't. You either believe the word of God is true, or you don't. You have a little thing called faith. Go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
Hebrews 11, 1. If you want to sit there and spend your life, and trust me, my friends, I've gone this route to some level. It's not necessary to share. I'm a pretty scientific guy. I mean, I am an engineer by trade, right? Classically trained, nonetheless. Uh, it's real easy to, to go at it, you know, to, to, to want those answers, to, to, to deconstruct, to get to that answer. I need an answer. No, no, you don't. You need faith, dummy. You either believe what the Word of God says or you don't. That's it. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you believe that God can save that man in the jungle? I do. Do I understand exactly how that's going to happen? No, don't ask me. How the heck would I know? But I know God's not a liar. Because as soon as he became a liar, all bets are off. Now this thing's a lie. Because he's the one who offered it. Now I can't trust him. So I can't. I got to throw the whole thing out. I'll give you another example. <clears throat> what do you do when you lose your job and you got to sell your home? Do you sell your home or do you start stealing, cheating on your taxes, or borrowing money from others you have no intention of repaying? I don't know. Just being inventive here. Do you, you know, quote, engineer a solution from human strength? Or do you sell your home? Move to an inexpensive apartment and say, thank God I'm not on the street. In other words, does your integrity to the word of truth hinge on whether or not you agree with what God has given you? Let me read that again, because a lot of people need to hear this. I told you this is a very important message this morning. Does your integrity to the word of truth hinge on whether or not you agree with what God has given you? may not be money. It could be relationships. I don't know. But does your integrity stick to the word of truth? Do you abandon clearly stated doctrine in Holy Scripture so that you can engineer some answer to some perceived problem? Think back to our opening thoughts about the U.S. annihilating hundreds of thousands of civilians. God be the judge here. God be the judge. But is it possible? That's all I'm saying. Is it possible God has never wanted the United States to be or act like that? Is it possible? Is it possible God knows that Americans would eventually end up a giant pile of spoiled, entitled little brats who spread awfulness through its perverted Hollywood culture to the rest of the world? Is it possible he didn't want us to seize that kind of power over the rest of the world because of what we would eventually look around, people, 
what we would eventually spread like a disease to the rest of the world. You know, Western culture, Hollywood culture, disgusting idolatry. Is it possible? Is it possible that such maneuvers, like those that involve the acquisition of, I don't know, oil and such, are simply to maintain wealth and power here in America? Remember, this morning's topic is human power. So I'm not being all political. Never had a desire to run for political office. And I certainly don't want to preach politics from a holy pulpit. This is all to get you thinking, to open your eyes. You live in this, you live in America, right? There's no foreigners here. So it's fair game to talk about this thing that we live in. Is it possible that a lot of the things that we do as a country are to maintain wealth and power? In other words, up here on the board, <clears throat> does the end justify the means? What does God think about such things? That's what I want to know. When I think about lofty things like that, I just say, what does God think about it? I mean, we, Jesus said in Luke 6.20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Some of you are thinking like humans right now, right? Some of you like to have that lampshade, you know, the curtain, there's this curtain, this, you know, um, what do you call it, um, propaganda curtain, right? That, I mean, anybody here, anybody here not own a pair of Nikes? Do you remember where those things were made? People making like, I don't know, a nickel an hour in sweatshops in China. Why didn't you have a problem with that? Because you wanted your Nikes. <laughs> Why don't you have a problem with that? That's the point. Right? Why don't you have a problem paying, I don't know, two bucks, two dollars, what is gas now, 250? Something like that. Right? If we didn't dominate the world, maybe it'd be eight. What's your problem? Why don't you have a problem with that? You see what human power, you throw everything out the window so you can maintain your little lifestyle, the American lifestyle. Right? You'll cheat on your taxes. You'll rip your, you'll rip your boss off. You'll, out, you'll skip out early. When you're supposed to work as unto the Lord, you'll skip out early and say, well, I deserve it. Really? Really? The Bible says work as unto the Lord. You work for Him. The Bible says obey your leaders, including your bosses and your government. What's with you ripping off everybody? Well, I've got to have my lifestyle. Hmm. So it's true. Some of you are thinking like humans right now, you know, calculating, you know, trying to find Holy Scripture that justifies your ridiculousness. Justifying actions that aren't anywhere supported by Holy Scripture. But remember this, my friends, and remember it well. 
Go to Isaiah 55, verse 6. 55, verse 6. Remember this well. Isaiah 55, verse 6. <clears throat> Remember this well. Stop calculating. Stop justifying. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Remember this. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In other words, to hell with your thoughts. You get it? You get it? Me and uh, Chris Fredericks and I are doing a little side study on our own over here. About a person's appetite, their emotions being their God. Right, Chris? Yeah. Thinking about that. Someone's emotions being their God emotionalism. Well, it feels like the right thing to do. Oh, does it now? What does this have to say? It feels like the right thing. It feels like I should do this thing. That's because your God is your emotions. You're dominated. You're sovereign. Let's face it, in every practical sense, is your emotionalism. Everything's, oh, it's a gut feeling I have. It's just the right thing to do. And then you, then you have the audacity to say, God told me to do it. Because I really want to do this thing, even though it's contrary to clearly stated Holy Scripture, because the feeling is so strong, it must be from God. No. Little g, your God is your emotions. You get it? Meanwhile, we have Holy Scripture. We just read it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Remember this, especially when your human sensibilities cannot comprehend. Happens a lot to me. I don't know about you guys. I still think about that dude in the jungle. How does that happen? My engineering mind's like, mm, I can fly up because I'm a pilot too, right? I can fly in there. I'll just, I'll rent a Cessna. I'll figure out a way to puddle jump over there. I'll get one of my kids. Sean's shortly going to be able to jump out of planes with a parachute. Joey can, I, I think, still, probably still can do it. I'll fly. They'll jump out. They'll give the guy the Bible. You see what's going on? We'll do this thing. Because apparently God is unable. And I'm not saying you don't go do that thing because we are called to give the gospel to the ends of the earth. Anyways, just remember verse 8, please. Especially when your human sensibilities cannot comprehend what is clearly stated in Holy Scripture. I recently heard 
a very prominent uh, former of the highest ranking political office besides the president himself, someone way up there who was a professing Christian, say that they actually hosted in their home, celebrated, made the cake for a homosexual wedding at her home. And she claims it was good because she saw so much love between the two men. That's compromising the integrity of the Word of God. The Spirit is saying this morning emphatically, just stop lawyering. <laughs> stop lawyering. Stop doing that thing, trying to find loopholes and, you know. Again, look at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall, apparently some people think it will, so they jump in. Move over, God, I've got this. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. In other words, be patient and stop engineering and lawyering solutions to your problems. And my righteousness be revealed. Okay, back to our bombing civilians example. America has been wealthy enough long enough to wield incredible power over the rest of the planet. Is that fair? If you can nod your heads, you're not being anti-American by agreeing with facts. We're extremely powerful. Some would still argue that we're the most powerful country on the planet. We're also the wealthiest, or we used to be. Okay. What happens when the owner of such power has abandoned Holy Scripture. What happens when the owner of such power has abandoned Holy Scripture? Or maybe since most of the so-called early fathers of our country, our founding fathers, were deists, not Christians, as the Bible would call them out, is it possible that America has a history of engineering human power solutions? Is that possible? The answer is yes. Is it possible? Again, is this morning's message about politics? May it never be. Honestly, may it never be. That's the furthest thing from my desire. The Spirit's just using it to wake some of you up because a lot of you like to sit in front of a television and play this game 
and listen to the propaganda and the BS, right? Because it keeps your little life in place, your little lap of luxury, your little cushy pillow, right? You want to hear those things. You want to hear moronic politicians lie to your face and tell you there's a monster over there and so we've got to go kill it. You want to hear that kind of crap because it justifies, it justifies your lifestyle, the one you really don't want to give up. The one out of one side of your mouth you're saying, oh, I have faith in you, Jesus, I'll follow you. But on the other side, I'm going to murder people to do it. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to turn a blind eye to human power solutions all along the way. Let's just get real. We are what we are. We're gross. I'm simply illustrating that we humans love to invent reasons why departing from Holy Scripture is somehow justifiable. We just invent stuff. We don't like what the Bible has to say. We don't like being patient. We don't like waiting on God's providence. So we design our own solutions. We depart from Holy Scripture and we say it's justifiable. We love to invent solutions to problems that God has already solved. God doesn't need your help. God says, all right, let's, let's just play a little back and forth. You ready? God says, I'll provide for you and your family. He says it in the Bible. I'll provide for you and your family. If I can do it for birds, I can do it for you. Man says, that's not enough because, you see, I need cable. I need internet. I need booze. I need to eat out once in a while. I need fashionable clothing, fancy haircuts, cologne, new cars, expensive educations, etc. I need this. <laughs> God says, well, to get all of that with that attitude, you'll have to venture outside of my divine provision. Man says, okay then, it's settled. I'll take it from here. God says, but in order to chase those so-called American dreams, you'll have to sacrifice precious time with me. You'll be too distracted by the life you've engineered to take in my grace. Man says, you're wrong, God. I can do both. Or maybe even worse, without actually saying it, they just continue pursuing their ungodly plans and say, yes, Lord, in a flippant way. Yes, Lord, you're right. You know, like you used to do with your parents. When you were getting a lecture, you know that? That's what America has done at a macroscopic level. But as I was teaching someone the other day, here's the thing about macroscopic tendencies. They always originate with microscopic ones. In other words, macro, large scale, is just a collective of bits and pieces. 
In this case, it's the individual American that is diseased. America, we can't blame America. You're an American. We're all Americans. We make up America. We're America because we here are here. Do you understand? It's the individual American that is diseased. And you see, that's why, listen please, because I don't want any like weird emails about politics. I'm not focused on America. That's, to me, America is a symptom. But it does get your attention when you start talking about the audacity of America on the world scale of things. I'm not actually talking about politics. I'm talking about you and you and you and all of you. I'm talking about you all as individuals. I'm talking about an ancient disease called sin. Atrocities wouldn't exist in the absence of sin. Last time I checked, a country can't be sinned, but its citizens can be. Sin is antithetical to faith. Sin is antithetical to faith. If you have faith, you wait on God's timing. You accept what he gives you and say, thank you, Lord. Just like a message like this one this morning. You say, thank you, Lord. That's what faith looks like. Sin says, la, 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 la. Up here on the board, Romans 14, 23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, you might be arguing in your soul right now about how much you know, good you've done in this world. But I'm a swell guy. I'm a swell guy. I've done a lot of good in this world. You know, doing things your way, like Frank Sinatra would say. Nobody? I did it. My way. Nobody? All right. Hey, give me a break. That guy's voice was ridiculous. Right? But you'll argue, I did so much good my way. Oh, I see your point there, Baldy. Right? But I did a lot of, I did a lot of good my way. I've, look around. I've done a, what happened? I've done a lot of good my way. Right? You might be saying stuff like, well... My family thinks highly of me because, you know, I fed them good food and took them on trips and put them in good schools, etc. And maybe your neighbors and the folks at the PTO meetings and those on Facebook, you know, <laughs> they all cheer for you being such a swell person. Everybody's cheering for you, right? Everybody's cheering for you. We back? Good. Everybody's cheering for you. But what did Jesus say? Luke 6, 26 up here on the board. What did he say? Woe to you when all people speak well of you. <gasps> Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Take a good long drink of Jesus' words on the board while I take a drink over here. I'm serious. Take a good long drink. Some of you are kind of puffed up. I'm a swell guy. I'm a swell gal. Oh, what did Jesus have to say? 
The world loves me. Yeah, that's a really dangerous proposition because the world loves its own. It can't stand those that are from Jesus Christ. Wake up. So, let's just summarize this for a moment. God says, I'll take care of you, I promise. Just be humble and have a little faith. I promise to take care of you. Man says, God, I don't trust you. So, I'm going to engineer a lifestyle, just like my ungodly neighbors over here have, that will allow me to obtain things that you apparently aren't willing to give me. Yeah. You weren't willing to give it to me, so I took it from the kingdom of darkness. They offered it up, I took it. Was it in your plan? I took it anyways, because I want it. I want it, I want it now. I want money, so I stole it. I wanted a relationship, so I stole someone's husband. I wanted a, uh, a new car, so I robbed it. I wanted a new house, so I found every... I just abandoned everything to do everything to get it. I wanted, I don't know, I wanted this, I wanted that, I wanted this, I want, I want, I don't trust you, God. Isn't that basically what it, that is going on there? I don't trust you, Lord, even though you've made me those promises right here. Right here, clearly stated doctrine. I will take care of you. I promise to take care of all of your needs, not your wants. I might do that, but your needs. You have everything you need. I don't trust you, God. I'm going to go do this on my own. All right? That person says, I may even terrorize the rest of the planet to get what I want. Once I got enough momentum and power and we all group together, I might even terrorize the rest of the planet to get what I want. Is this adding up yet? Up here on the board. Symptomatic man. Wealth breeds human power. Human power breeds bullying. Bullying is merely a symptom like the rest. It's born of a lack of faith. Didn't we just read that in Romans 14, 23? Yep. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We just see a bunch of symptoms. I just described some I described some uh, that are dominant in America. They're just symptoms. The disease is in us. The disease is sin. Sin likes the idea of wealth. Sin loves the idea of dominance, right, of power. Tashuka loves that. If it takes wealth, if wealth is the stepping stone to that thing, I'll do whatever it takes to get the wealth, and then once I get the wealth, I'm off to power. Mm, that's the end goal, power. Power. A-H in Massachusetts. Power. They're just symptoms. So much of what the Spirit's been teaching us as of late has to do with this one core issue. Man lacks faith. Therefore, he remains a sinner. And no one is immune to this disease. No one. So I'm not condemning anyone. If you were in that, li that list I just rattled off, get over yourself. Come on. 
we're all ridiculous. We're all diseased. We all do stuff that is outside of His will. Humility says we just confess it, right? Say the same thing as God. I agree. Yep. Now, if you heard Thursday's message, you got an earful, as did I, on how dangerous certain positions of authority can be. Because think of that tendency, right? That, that ugliness, that sin, that wealth power vector. Man, it's exacerbated. It's like, I should say, amplified in positions of power. I mean, excuse me, of authority, right? Including the one I represent here this morning, namely pastors. Uh, I've, I've said this publicly. People kind of scoff at it, but I actually believe that a pastor has a more important job than the president of the United States. The president's an administrator. I'm feeding souls. This is a this is an extremely important office. Maybe among the ugliest manifestations of sin in the life of a pastor is the pursuit of wealth. All right, who's got that? Seriously, Jim? Is it off? Pastors, maybe among the ugliest manifestations of sin in the life of a pastor is the pursuit of wealth and subsequent power. As I've taught you in the past, this is why denominations with hierarchies are evil. Why? Because power corrupts even the best of us. I actually sympathize with these people, honestly. I think it'd be hard to be the Pope and not be an arrogant, disgusting thing. Well, just more to that. You know what I'm getting at, right? It'd be hard to enter in at any level up that power chain without being somehow corrupted. And so that's not ordained in the Bible because God knows his sheep. It's hard enough keeping this office under wraps. There's no mention whatsoever of hierarchical constructs where some pastors are elevated above others. The only stratification I've ever seen in the New Testament is with apostles, of which there are no more. The only thing left are elders and pastors, uh, which in a local assembly are free to organize in a way that's suitable. Right? It, whatever works. I mean, if you have a a congregation of five people, you're probably going to have one pastor. There's only one here, and there's what? I don't know. But if you're a giant, you might need more than one. I don't know. But the Bible's silent on those things. But I know that there's not some weird hierarchy that corrupts otherwise well-intentioned people. I don't know. Not sure why anybody would shoot for that in the first place. Second, I'm never called to announce myself, nor is any other pastor. I'm never called to announce myself as a super pastor once I become, you know, a millionaire selling books. 
That crap goes on. Someone becomes a millionaire selling the Word of God, which is against the Word of God. Oh, and don't get me wrong, they have their own little um, reasons. Well, I send all the proceeds overseas. That sounds an awful lot like a human solution to me, my friend. Oh, I give it all to charity. That, again, sounds just like a human solution against the Word of God. You are engineering something. You are not trusting that God can take care of whatever that business is that you say you're taking care of. It's all human ingenuity. It's all garbage. Do you understand? Nobody's ever called to be a super pastor once you sell millions of dollars of books and tracts or crap. There are, there are a lot of people that do that and sell their sermons. That would be like me, listen, having our website, right, and gating anyone able to watch this message with a, I don't know, a $5 price tag. If you want to watch this amazing message from Pastor Ed Collins, who's now a millionaire because he sells everything, you have to just donate with PayPal first, and then I'll send you a little link, and you can just open it up, and it'll be awesome. Nobody has the right to do that thing. I don't even care if I'm giving that $5 to the elderly. I don't have that right. Look around, people. Look how many people are merchandising. $750 billion in religion in one year. Again, I'm never called to announce myself as a super pastor because I've become a millionaire selling books or because I have thousands attending my services or I sell out you know, so-called Bible conferences where I sit up on the grand stage and, you know, wave my hand like the idol the audience wants me to be. You know, I come out on stage to big fanfare, but, oh, you're the best, Pastor Ed, you are the best. Oh, man, you changed my life, brother. Did you buy my book? I did. To, to, set, someone up, to set oneself up like that, is to set oneself up on a virtual throne. That, my friends, is the start of the fall. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. Go to Luke 14, 7. Luke 14, verse 7. Luke 14, 7. And by the way, if men of integrity like myself don't stand up for this kind of truth, who will? Honestly, who's going to stand up? Obviously, some people are rolling down the hill right now. Who's going to stand up for the Bible if I don't? The sheep? The sheep are pathetic. They're the ones raising people up as idols. See, I don't allow it here. If you even try that, I tell you, stop. Amen? I don't want that here because I know the danger of it. Don't try to make me an idol. I wonder how many people this Sunday 
who are millionaires, said that to their congregation, to the 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 50,000 congregants, which is a whole other story. I don't know how the hell do you know your sheep if you've got 50,000 of them, supposedly. How do you shepherd 50,000 sheep? You don't know anything about them other than that they're paying for your yacht or your third vacation home. It's about all you know. It's all you really care about, I guess, at that point. Luke 14, 7. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with some shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, the quickest way for a pastor to be humbled is to exalt himself to a position of power. In America, that is accomplished in two fundamental ways. First, you've got to gather a large following. I can't tell you how many times I get emails. Hey, do you want to increase your uh, attendance? Do you want to get to more people? Do you want to sell more books? Here, here's how you market. Sorry, bud, I've been marketing for decades. I understand marketing from a business perspective. I get it. I don't want it because that's not biblical. I'm not called to market so I can get a larger following. Now, there's nothing, to be honest, to be fair, there's nothing specific in Holy Scripture that, that prohibits a large following. Not that I can see. Only a lurking temptation to begin, you know, resembling, you guys remember Apollos? Go to Acts 18.24, right? Acts 18.24. And look around, by the way. How many famous pastors, or even theologians nowadays, aren't well-spoken? Honestly, how many fail that test? How many are not eloquent at all? You know what I'm getting at, right? How many people would sit, how many people, all right. How many people would sit, right? And let's say what we understand about Paul is true, that he wasn't an eloquent man. He didn't wax, but he's super smart, genius smart. But let's just say he wasn't the most eloquent man, okay? And he certainly wasn't the most uh, becoming to look at physically, right? He was beat up. He was probably scarred, bruised, mangled, a mess. Walked with a limp, right? Nothing really that you would esteem, right? So here we got, you know, someone that knows Jesus Christ personally, wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? You put him up on a stage, and you're like, dang, right? You don't even speak well. Right? And then you put, I don't know, you choose your favorite uh, YouTube pastor nowadays, right? Who's extremely well-spoken, probably at least halfway decent looking, well-groomed, you know, the whole nine yards, has a, you know, a little picture of his, 
perfect little family behind him, you know, and they're all sitting there, and he's looking at his hand on his, you know, he's like, look at my perfect little kids with their little bow ties and all, got it garbage, right? Who are you going to listen to? Who's the average moron going to listen to? Honestly. Be honest. You're going to listen to the guy that looks the part, and you're going to look for your idol. People don't make idols out of, out of crud, out of a turd, right? They want shiny, polished things, right? They want people that are polished. I had someone tell me to my face. Now, you're lucky. I have a decent speaker, a good teacher, I think, right? They, they told me to my face, this is probably about eight, ten years ago, if you weren't such a great speaker, I probably wouldn't, if you weren't even, don't take this the wrong way, but if you were ugly and you couldn't speak, I probably would have been gone a long time ago. What? I was like, what? You serious right now? You seriously just said that to me? And they were serious. And I kind of, I think I thanked them. I'm like, well, at least thank you for being honest, but I mean... The fact that I'm stunningly handsome and so eloquent, why should that even matter? I'm just kidding. Right? It shouldn't matter. If you're here for that, get out of here. I don't even want you here. Get the hell out of here. Honestly, I don't want you there. I don't want you here. Go find somebody, I don't know, go find somebody else. Because if you're here for those things, then you're here for the wrong reasons. You understand? Okay, Acts 18.24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. Oh, here we go. Competent in scriptures. Now, not to be fair, to be fair, he was eloquent. You know? He's not going to not be eloquent. He's not going to be artificially not eloquent. Right? It's just how he spoke. He was an eloquent man. But to be fair, he was competent in scriptures. So he kind of knew his stuff, too. Okay? He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So, so far, so good. It's not like he's some kind of jerk or anything, right? He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through, grace and, uh, who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Okay, any, any personal issues that we see with Apollos noted here? Not that I can see. So far, so good. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now, remember, Corinth was like America. Okay? Wealthy, powerful, loved her idols. Sound familiar? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Okay. Paul's writing now. So Paul gets wind of certain things. He says, ah, oh, now I've got to write to them. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you will be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What's the problem? Oh, here we go. You ready? What I mean is that each, of one, of, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. There's our friend, right, Mr. Eloquent Speaker. 
I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Look at you people, you're pathetic. You're just looking for another idol. You want to raise up, you want to divide and say, I follow so-and-so. I always get a kick out of that. Get an email recently from somebody who is refuting uh, some decisions that I've made lately. And instead of actually using Holy Scripture, they just name other people. Well, so-and-so is saying this. I don't give a rat's behind what somebody else said. You give me Scripture, I'll think about it. I'll dwell on it, I promise. You just want to start naming names? Apollo said. Paul said. They're just men. This is what matters. Boy, we love our idols, though, don't we? Paul saw it immediately in Corinth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, to be fair, even though there's no indication that Apollos was doing anything wrong, people started identifying with him, among others like Paul. People started identifying with him as better than other pastors. Up here on the board. What's the problem? Right there. The very end of First uh, John, I believe, John wrote, children, beware of idols. Literally the last statement. Why? Because people love idols. Remember, Apollos was notably, I mean, it's in Holy Scripture. There's a reason it's there. He was notably eloquent. Acts 18.24. We Americans just love eloquent people, don't we? Is that fair? That's fair. We love eloquent people. I mean, isn't that like one of the main reasons actually cited by Americans who vote for our presidents? It's actually cited. I'm thinking of JFK or Reagan. I mean, Reagan was a Hollywood actor. I'm not detracting from stuff he did. I'm just saying. People like that about him. He was handsome. He was an actor, and he was very eloquent. Paul had to cut this off at the past before it became a real issue in Corinth. And again, America is a lot like Corinth. Wealthy, powerful, arrogant, looking for its next idol always. Go to 1 Corinthians 3.1. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. First Corinthians three, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, 
Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. All right, we've got to close here shortly. So let me see if I can wrap this up. We've got to follow the breadcrumb trail. And maybe this is, instead of giving it to someone else first, maybe this is a do-over for you. An awful lot in here. First, the Spirit pointed out that man has a talent for inventing and engineering solutions to his problems. Up here on the board, we call that human power. Human power, it is the fingerprint of sinful man. Believers are called to depend on God's grace. However, sinful man, unbelievers, and sinning unbelievers depends on his own strength to solve problems. We engineer such solutions when we lack, up here, faith. We engineer solutions when we lack faith. Here's what the Bible has to say about faith up here on the board, Romans 14, 23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Faith is intrinsically tied to patience in the Bible. Some of you, go ahead and apply it to your lives right now. Who, all right, who doesn't want this corona thing over? <sighs> right? Okay, 40 years in the wilderness. I'll choose corona. Right? Did God not know what he was doing when he said you're out there for 40 years? Of course he knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing right now. It's a test. And sadly, after five measly months, Pastors all over the place are starting to fail. And you know what? They're ridiculous, pathetic sheep. Thank you for accommodating my ridiculous flesh. Because I was getting pretty sick of this myself. Thank you for abandoning the integrity of your post. Yay! That's what's going on, and it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And I'm not saying everyone's like that, but just saying, just saying, if you've got a huge congregation and nobody's showing up, you're probably taking quite a financial hit. Just saying. Yeah, but the ends justifies me. You know, I mean, I got a hundred people on staff. These people have families. I got to feed them. I got to. We got to get people back in here. Oh, so the ends justifies the means. That's what you're getting at. God can't take care of those hundred families. Or maybe it's time for those hundred families and the vast majority of your congregation to scurry along and find somewhere else to go, something else to do, instead of supporting a mega church with a mega pastor who makes millions. 
Maybe that's God breaking things up. Have you ever thought about that? Remember at the beginning of this whole debacle? I said, I love it. I still do. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, I hate that part of it. But you know what I love? I love that God's using it to blow crap up. He's saying, let me show you who's got real faith, even behind pulpits. Let me show you who's a farce and who's not. Let me show you who's willing to stand up for truth and who isn't, who's going to kowtow to the sheep. And let me show you all the cowards who will scurry along behind the mega pastors and the mega churches. Why? Because they bite the hand that feeds them otherwise. They're all a bunch of little parasites. They all go to the same conferences together. Have you ever noticed that? There's always about five to ten evangelical giants. As one dies off, another one sort of joins the fray. They're all in the same little circle. Wake up. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Faith is intrinsically tied to patience in the Bible. Go to Hebrews 6.11, real quick. Hebrews 6.11. I promise to close the issue. I told you it was going to be a long one. Hopefully you paced yourself with your liquids. All right? Hebrews 6.11. Hebrews 6.11. Maybe I need to get a little uh, video crew. Anybody want to sign up for that? I want to get a little video crew that, you know, films me, like, drinking my water, you know, like this. You know, and gets in and out of my car, you know, my 2011 Mercedes-Benz that I work on myself, so don't be all weird. It's probably worth a lot less than most of your cars, right? But I can get in out of a nice Mercedes, you know. Bye, everyone. And I get my little film crew that follows me around, and then I make a nice little YouTube video, and I play some emotional music, you know. You know what I'm getting at, right? Right? Show some flowers drifting. You know, create a whole emotional thing. Because for a lot of people, their emotions are their God. And I can, you know, start creating something. And then all of a sudden, I'm well known, right? Right? And now I can just put a price tag on, I don't know, one of my six books. Right? I'll put a price tag on it, put it out there. Oh, that's Ed Collins. That's the guy who goes like this. Right? I remember him. The, the one with that little patch of hair because he's got no hair out in the world. That guy. He's, have you seen him? He's the best. Oh, he's fiery. Oh, he's fiery. But I like that about him. I like that about him. Here, here's 10 bucks for the book. I can't even give it away right now. <laughs> right? What's the problem? You know exactly what the problem is. Anyways, Rome, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 6.11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. Oh, I forgot. I've got to have one of these. Anybody get one of these? Hold on. My leg's way up there. Thank God I'm that flexible, huh? So I can, we're going to take the three crosses off. We're going to take the video of the three crosses in the rolling uh, messages and blogs. We're going to take that off, the banner, the huge part of the website. We're just going to have a close-up of me. (laughs) 
No, I get a little Indian kid in, from my mission, you know, have my hand on, it, on the person's head. But. Uh, Hebrews 6.11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and what? Patience, inherit the promises. If it's not from faith, it's what? Okay, what? No, if it's not from faith, it's what? Jeez, people. See? We've got to go another half an hour. That's it. This is, this is just not sinking in, apparently. Through faith and patience, inherit the promises. A lack of patience is a show of a lack of faith, you see. And when we fail the test, symptoms of failure begin to surface. Up here on the board, symptomatic man. Again, I'm just reviewing. I'm almost closed, I promise. Wealth breeds human power. Human power breeds bullying. Bullying is merely a symptom like the rest. It's born of a lack of faith. And let me tell you something. I don't need to punch you in the face to bully you. If I've got enough power, especially as a pastor or as a self-proclaimed super pastor, all I've got to do is look at you. All I've got to do is ask a favor of you. And my power bullies you. Does that make sense? Bullying is merely a symptom like the rest. It's born of a lack of faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's Romans 14, 23. That is Holy Scripture. So, here's how I want to close. I want you to do me a big favor today. You promise? Okay. All I hear is Scott go, I'm going to take that. He's speaking for all of you because he's a super evangelist. You're just a bunch of dumb sheep. He tells me this in my office all the time. He's like, they're just dumb sheep. He's like, when I'm up there teaching, he goes, they just look so pathetic. I just look down on them. So he says. Seriously, though. I want you to take, I'm going to put a list up on the board. Not yet, guys. I want to take a good look at the following list of individuals, and I want you to think about how the point on the board right now, this one, can manifest itself in each of these positions. I'm certain the Spirit has more to say on this topic, but we are obviously well out of time. Okay, up here on the board. What symptoms of corruption due to wealth and power have you seen in the following? Missing an end there. Not have you seen. Have you seen in the following? What symptoms? I'm talking about symptoms. We're not here to condemn every politician and say, oh, they, you know, they're blah, blah, blah. Well, we're not here to condemn every pastor, right? I, even when I talk fiercely about pastors out of line, I do so with respect for their position. I'm not being disrespectful. I hate sin. That's what I hate. So it's, it's me railing against the sin in people because that's the disease, okay? Fair enough. Politicians, well, that's a layup. Religious leaders, pastors, priests, etc. Business leaders, family dynasties, kings, queens, etc. Hollywood actors, and everybody's favorite, you. You don't think you have power? Honestly, just do me a favor. Think about how each one of these positions, if you would, um, show symptoms of corruption.
from wealth and power. Is that fair? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for giving us Holy Scripture so that we understand the narrow way that leads to life. Father, we just pray for your blessings as we take the things we've learned to the privacy of our own souls, back to our families even, and your will be done out to a world that's just decaying. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.